broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Well, hello, hello, my friends. Holy shitballs. It has been a long time since I've been on here podcasting. But like I said, boundaries. This podcast in general was just supposed to be something fun for me, and I never wanted to force myself to do it. Although I am sick right now, I'm really excited to do this podcast episode. I don't know why I got kind of fired up to do it today, but I think it's a good thing. I got a negative coronavirus test this week. There was some fires in Orange County that were kind of making my throat sore, and I was also kind of feeling a little shitty, and I got a negative result, um, but I still am just a little nasally and congested, but thank God it ain't that Rona. I feel like it's like an STD, like, oh my God, you got the coronavirus, and anytime you have a fucking sniffle or tickle in your throat, you're like a goddamn martyr, but whatever. So I'm still staying home. I want to do some recapping since I've talked to you guys last. It's been, like I said, forever. We are moving South Bay Strain Company. We got our location. We were going to buy a building and that went through. I'm going to do another podcast about the whole process of opening this new gym and moving the gym. And there's a lot to talk about that goes into it, but I'm not going to do it until we're a little farther along in the process. But I will just say we signed a 10 year lease for a building that's in Harbor city and it's currently getting built out. We're hoping that everything will be done by February. The timeline's a little out of our hands, but that's where we're anticipating right now. Steven is competing in USA's next weekend. So today is the 5th of December. We leave on the 8th to go or the 9th to go to Arizona. They moved it from, it was in Vegas. Then they moved it to California. Then they moved it back to Vegas. Then they moved it to Phoenix. (laughs) I was thinking they were going to move it to Florida because that's what you do nowadays when you don't want to cancel something, you just move it to Florida. But I'm so excited. He is going for his pro card. It's been the longest fucking year of our lives. And the man has promised to come on here and do not one, not two, but several podcast episodes with me if I allow it. So I'll be asking for questions about us and what you want to know soon and in the future because he bailed on me like fucking twice, but whatever. I competed in October. It seems like forever ago now, but about two months ago in Montana at a women's only meet and I won some shmane which was cool it was an amazing just vacation getaway a little girls time my friend Lindsay came one of my other friends and clients Diana came she competed she did fucking phenomenal Uh, I got to meet two of my other clients that are in different states I uh I got robbed of my squat, so I posted it on my Instagram. This happens. I say in the sport of powerlifting, everyone gets a gift and everyone gets robbed at least once. I know I've gotten some gifts where like, I look at the lights like, I don't know if that was right, and I still got the white, so I just shut the fuck up and walked away. Well, my, my squats were fucking flying. I did 424 opener, 440 second attempt, and, uh, or 435, I don't remember, and uh, 463 for my third. I didn't even get to push out of the hole, and the dude took the bar. Um, it was his first time 
at one of the side spotters. It was his first time ever spotting at a meet. And I posted a slow-mo video detailing and showing how the spotter basically ruined my third attempt. But I'm, you know, I'm not mad. There's, there's human error that is accounted for. The head judge could have saw that and given me another attempt, but it all happened so fast. At the time, I didn't even realize what was going on. I kind of thought I was failing because I just felt the bar move so rapidly, but it was actually just a spotter grabbing it. Um, but the dude, he apologized and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, now you fucking know, dude. Like, I think it was the heaviest squad at the meet. I think he was just a little nervous, uh, especially it being his first time. Bench disappointment city. I did break the squat record. I did break the bench record for the state of California, but I was going for that national record for bench 304 pounds. And I got it halfway up and it just hit that invisible wall. It was the only time in a meet in my, I would say the past two years that I was actually like mad. Usually I just, I'm like, it is what it is. You perform the way you performed. This is, you know, what you showed up with and this is what happened you know I'm not one that's like oh the wind was blowing 36 degrees to the north and someone was yelling my name and I got confused and distracted and then my hands slipped blah 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 it's like no I just fucking didn't do it and uh it's disappointing because I trained so hard for that bench that was all I wanted I did 305 in the gym for a touch and go and it wasn't there and then uh deadlift um my deadlift has been sucking so it I don't even remember what I got there. I think I got 440. I couldn't even tell you. See, that's how much I give a shit. But the rest of the week, uh, we hiked. Um, we did some amazing, you know, R&R, and I needed that nature getaway. If you've ever had the chance to go to Montana, it is absolutely fucking breathtaking. We stayed around Glacier National Park, and I wish I would have had a whole nother week to just explore and do things because it was so incredibly wonderful. COVID still fucking sucks. We're like, California's the only state, I think, in the entire United States that's on a complete lockdown yet again. And uh, the gym has been open. So timeline for our gym, we got shut down in March. We closed for 90 days in June, they allowed us to open for 21 days, and then they said indoor operations must cease. All gyms are outdoor only. We have stayed open this entire time, and uh, this past week, now that there's a stay-at-home order mandate, gyms are still allowed to be open outdoors 10% capacity, which is weird because no gyms are... There's no outdoor capacity limit. You get an occupancy permit, which shows your occupancy for indoors. Doesn't make fucking sense. None of it does. Um, but we're still staying open. Fuck this bullshit. We're riding until the wheels fall off. The worst thing they can do is turn off our power. I've already made preparations for if that happens with generators and um, rechargeable light bulbs that are battery operated. So it is what it fucking is, y'all. I mean, this is America, and we still have to fucking pay our rent. So there we go. And the final update about me and my plans for the rest of the year and 2021 as far as competing goes, I'm taking a long-ass off-season. Since we're moving the gym around February, I don't want to be prepping around the time that we're planning on moving or the few you know, infant months and 2.0's new stages. I want to be able to focus all my attention and not be stressed with you know the focus of a meet because when I'm in meet prep... Boy, that's all I'm fucking thinking about 24-7, and my brain needs to be divided into other things. So, the showdown meet. The showdown meet this year fucking blew my mind. It just seemed like an amazing event that was about the lifters, the quality and the caliber of lifters. Watching those chicks fucking do their thing in sleeves just made me really hungry to be on that stage as well. So, I got invited this past year. 
And uh, with COVID and everything, I didn't go because I was planning on doing another meet at that time. That got fucked up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we donated and we're going to be a sponsor for the meet. South Bay Strength Company is, but also I want to compete in it next year. That's around September. And since it's WRPF, I will at some point do a USPA meet, but I'm just going to walk on and do it. I probably, I might even just take one squat and one deadlift and, uh, to get the bench record because that is a goal and dream of mine is to get that national record. So once I'm consistently repping out over 300 pounds paused, which I'm getting there, um, I will just do a walk on USPA meet so that I can do the national record. Now let's get to the nitty gritty of what you came here for. I'm done bullshitting. The coach-athlete relationship. I wanted to do this because I get a lot of questions about people who want to transition to new coaches and they're asking what they should look for or how do I break up with my coach or what are some examples of a good coach versus a bad coach. And I think that it's important to address First and foremost, what should you look for in a coach? How do you begin this relationship? There's some questions that you should ask. You should ask yourself and you should ask your potential coach because really you're hiring that person to be your employee. You're their boss of the coaching world. And I think a lot of people get that dynamic a little bit skewed. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the most experienced coach in the world because everyone has to start somewhere, right? It's like the college graduate conundrum where they're overqualified because of their degrees, but they're underqualified because they have no experience. So how do you get experience? You can intern coach, you know, if you're someone who's looking to start coaching, if you have no credentials, you know, if you don't have any kind of accolades or academics or something to back you up that says, I have experience in this arena, you can start, you know, like sponsoring people or just saying, hey, I'm trying out this coaching thing. I'm going to give you a free program. Would you like to try it? And then see how you are as a coach, get some structure organized, see how it's like interacting with people and setting up how you want your business to flow as a coach. And then as an athlete, you know, if you're taking and accepting responsibility of someone who is a more novice coach, then there's some other things that should go along with it. A, it should be a reduced price. Um, You know, someone who's, you're their first five clients, they shouldn't be charging you hundreds of dollars or, you know, even a hundred dollars is kind of a lot. Because if someone doesn't have a resume to show you, these are my athletes, these are my results, this is my process, this is how it works from start to finish, and I can have you contact people to back that up. They haven't built that reputation for themselves that, you know, comes with the dollars on the other side. But some people have, you know, a standard that they feel that it's worth it for them only to do it at X price because coaching is a lot of work. So say someone is, you know, more experienced. What are some of the things you should look for? Just because someone is strong does not make them a good coach. I think it's important to reach out to other people that maybe they are coached by and say, hey, how do you like your coach? Hey, how is it working with so-and-so? Because that's going to be the best representation of like, oh my God, she's great. He's great. He's wonderful. I've been with him for six months. I'll be like, ah, it's all right. It's going pretty good. You know, I wish it was a little bit better with this and that. And I'm pretty sure you'll get those honest answers. I was planning on retiring from coaching after Steven's show this December in like a week, but I decided not to. Um, Instead, I changed the structure of how I coach to make it more um, just the way I was doing it. I had, so I'm going to go on a tangent here. I had 50 athletes at one point in time. I was doing 10 people a day, five days a week, and it was 
maddening to me. Not that, you know, the people were maddening. It was maddening that I was a slave to my computer, that Monday through Friday, I had to take care of these athletes. And if I didn't, they didn't get their feedback and they also didn't get their program. I set the bar very high in that the expectation that I have is that you get a program every week. And so if I wanted to take Friday off or if I was sick or something came up and there was an emergency, 10 athletes don't get their programs. Well, guess what? The next day, if you got to fucking play catch up, I have 20 athletes. So it was just like, it was way too much. And it was, I was getting overworked and overwhelmed. And what I never wanted was my outcome to them to be shitty to my clients. So instead of leaving the coaching world altogether, I decided to reduce my clientele to 30. Right now I'm at 24 and I've just, I've lost a couple more after I cut down. Well, I didn't cut down to 30 per se. I didn't like cut anyone. I lost clients and I didn't take any more on once I decided I was going to stop coaching. And then I restructured my coaching where everyone checks in on the same day and I do feedback on a rolling basis when I have time during the week. So everyone still gets weekly feedback, but it's just not on a set day anymore. It's on a set day that works for me and my schedule. And then everyone gets their monthly plan, their plans a month in advance. So I kind of do a look ahead and plan a block at a time. And most all people like it. There was one or two who didn't or maybe still don't like the change. But um, for me, oh my God, it's like night and day. Like, oh my God, I can take today off because I'm fucking sick and I don't want to work. And I tomorrow the same shit's still sitting there and it's not piling up. And it's just amazing, let me tell you. So the other things to look for, like I said, do they have a resume? Talk to some other athletes. What, you know, is the is their outcomes for their meets and all of that. I think it's super important to find a coach specific for your sport. So if you are a powerlifter, you should get a powerlifting coach, someone who's experienced in powerlifting. Someone, so if they don't have experience with athletes, they should at least themselves have competed in powerlifting because it's, I feel like it's impossible to take someone through the process start to finish if you've never been on the platform yourself. I would never coach someone for a strongman because I don't know anything about strongman besides like they throw kegs and it's fucking cool and like that seems amazing. But I wouldn't take on a, you know, a strongman client unless they wanted to do some powerlifting. So find a coach that is specific for your sport. I had an athlete who was trying to get into the arena of strongman and I'm like, hey, like I can't. I can't keep working with you if this is your goal. You need to find someone. And I like push her out. I was like, I'm sorry. I love you. I love working with you. You've been with me for a long time, but you need to find someone who knows how to take you through this journey that you want to go on that strong man. Cause it's not going to be me. So setting expectations, I feel like is paramount. So when I start my relationship with my athlete, I tell them, my expectations of them and I give them the expectations that they can have of me as far as feedback, frequency, like when will you get feedback? How will that feedback come? Is it limited? Is it structured? Is it on a weekly basis? If all that sounds foreign, you're probably not getting feedback. So if your feedback is like a a text message, like, cool, great job. That's not really much feedback. So what kind of technique feedback are you getting? So I used to give all of my athletes, each one, an individualized video every week where I told them my thoughts and analysis of their technique and their lifting of the week. It was a little, it was very lengthy. It wasn't as 
poignant and directed as I wanted it to be because I have to, you know, like be on for a show and kind of I'm filming myself and I can't just be like, what's up, Heather? You fucking sucked. Let's move on, which I would never say that, but Heather's great. Um, it's just, I found a way to do it in a more concise manner. So next to each of their lifts for the week, I do typed feedback. It's normally like, it could be like up to a paragraph unless it was absolutely perfect. I give them technique feedback on what they need to fix, what I saw, what was right and what was wrong. If there's a higher level concept that needs to be explained or something that I feel like they're just not grasping based on the fact that I've had to give them the same feedback before, I make a video explaining that exact concept like, hey, Sarah, I'm going to show you what you're doing wrong with engaging your lats in this bench press. Here's a video. It's direct. And then that way they have a visual representation of what I'm trying to say verbally to them. So how is the feedback structured? Is it your own unique platform? Like all of my clients have their own Google Sheets. They all have my cell phone number. We communicate. Is it through an app? Um, that removes a layer of contact between you and your coach. Your coach is only contacting you through an app. So you can you know, only reach him or her through that distribution arena. How often can you contact them? I set a limit. Um, you know, I let all my clients text me, but if I'm training or if I'm doing physical therapy or if I'm busy or sleeping, I don't answer and I answer when I can, but it's always within 24 hours. Um, updates. How often is your program getting updated? I've talked to people where they're like, yeah, I, I run the same plan for like three weeks. And then my coach said, you know, on Wednesday that he was going to get me a new one. And now it's Friday and I'm still waiting for it. You know, what is the schedule and frequency that you're going to be getting your program updated? Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it biweekly? And competitions. Does your coach do competition prep? Have they ever you know, taking a competitor through a prep. What is their process for that? How do they peak you? What is their philosophy? Do they charge extra for competition prep? Sometimes it's not included in a normal coach's fee because doing prep is a little bit more. Are they familiar with doing meet day numbers and a meet day plan and telling you how all that works? Those are questions that you should ask of your coach to set the expectation of what you're looking for and what you're going to be getting in your coach and athlete relationship. Setting boundaries in the coach and athlete relationship. This is important both ways. I feel like as a coach, so I'm always, you know, I'm doing this podcast as a dichotomy of from the lifter's point of view and from the coach's point of view. As a coach, it's important for me to set boundaries that I can't always be available 24-7. And that expectation has to hold true. For example, like there's been a few instances where I've been on vacation while I have clients competing. Actually, several times, almost every time I go on vacation. And it's like, do I take like when you go on vacation from work, you know, you're if there's like a, you know, a meeting, are you like calling into the meeting on Saturday afternoon, like while you're in Hawaii? No, that's why it's called a fucking vacation. But that's important to set up that boundary beforehand. Like I usually communicate with my athletes like, hey, I'm on vacation. Like I may have limited reception or I may be doing an activity. Let's discuss the plan beforehand so that you feel prepared. And then, you know, if you have it written down, it's in front of you. I can't always be there. And like a little bit less handholding, you know, in that instance. Or as far as contacting me, you know, like I said, if I'm sleeping, if I'm training, if I'm treating, um, I've had to set some firm boundaries when I'm in the gym. It's very difficult because I'm there in person. People want to come up to me and they're like, Ashley, what about this? Ashley, what about that? And like, I can't just look at you and be like, fuck off. I'm in the gym. 
no offense to all of you that do it, but that's what I want to say. Because I am a virtual coach. I give you a virtual plan. And if you have a question, you can text me about it. Because my my client Liz in South Carolina doesn't get to come up to me while I'm doing my bench and ask me a question about a program. She texts me. And when I'm available, I answer. So it's just about setting those boundaries. And it's difficult because obviously I'm not an asshole and I don't want to tell anybody fuck off. But it is really difficult when I'm at the gym, you know, to not be approached. So that's a boundary you have to set. And I try to tell clients that I know it's very tempting to contact me when I'm in front of you at the gym. But I am an online virtual coach and this is our platform and this is a boundary that I have to set for myself because if I'm helping each and every one of you when I'm in the gym individually, I'm not spending the time to get my program done and that's a boundary that I've set for myself based on our coach and athlete relationship. And sometimes people don't like when you set firm boundaries, but honestly, setting boundaries has been the best thing I've ever done in my every aspect of my life. If you've listened to my boundary podcast, 2019 and 2020 has been my year of boundaries. So establishing boundaries also within yourself as an athlete, like if you have a shitty coach and so let's say your coach, let's go Wednesday program guy, you know, you're an athlete, your coach said Wednesday, he's giving you your new program. It's Friday. You haven't got your program. That should be a red flag in your boundary of I'm paying this person for X amount of time, energy and effort to be put into me and my planning and preparation for these programs. And this person is consistently late, you know, maybe one, one slip up here or there. Like I know I've had accidents where someone's like, how are these numbers for me? And I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was on this person's sheet. Like, yeah, you don't squat 600 pounds. Like, sorry. Um, accidents do happen, but if someone's chronically or consistently late, it, you know, it, that is unacceptable, or especially if they don't own up to it, or if they don't give you, you know, a reason or rationale as to what happened. Um, for example, actually just today, one of my clients texted me, she's like, hey, did you see my video? And I was like, what do you mean? And I looked and I was, somehow I skipped it. Um, I have a system and process where I make sure that I check all the videos are completed, and somehow hers went through the cracks and I thanked her for noticing the error and I immediately went back and I did her feedback for her. So, you know, errors do happen. Human error is always a thing, but establish your boundaries so that you're not getting walked on, you know, with that relationship. And speaking of that ties into the power dynamic. So for some reason, in the coach and athlete relationship, there's a huge power dynamic where people think and feel that this their coach is their God and on this untouchable pedestal where they automatically earn and get your respect just because they're your coach. And this is how a lot of people take advantage. Um, I mean, look at the history, like all of these coaches who sexually abuse their athletes, things like that. People who get abused monetarily for, you know, getting shitty products and just sticking with it because that's their coach or this person's Instagram famous and they are too afraid to speak up. But like I said in the beginning, you're hiring this person. Technically you're their boss and they need you for their income. Not to say that they're a slave to you, but there should be some type of, you know, expectation established and boundary established where this is a working relationship that involves a transaction on both sides. From the athlete, it's monetary, and it's also work output. And from the coach, it's feedback, information, knowledge, insight, and a plan. And 
they're, I hate when like clients are like too, they're like, oh, I was too afraid to say something. It's like, no, that's what I'm here for. I am your coach. And if you don't feel like you can talk to your coach, there is an issue there with that, you know, that expectation and that relationship where if that person is unapproachable and they're like, you know, they're, they're making the power dynamic seem as if you cannot talk to them about whether it's a personal issue. Like, yes, this is lifting, but sometimes personal issues, you know, feed into people have stress and it affects their lifting, you know, coronavirus. Like I was like super fucked up for a couple months and I was just happy to be at the gym. Some people don't have access to the gym. Women, you know, menstrual cycles, relationship problems, money problems, like all of those things feed into the social dynamics of the physical aspect of you performing your lifts and your workouts. As a coach, you're also a therapist, if you didn't notice. But if you don't feel like, hey, I'm having, Ashley, I'm having a problem. I need to talk to you about this. I only got to live three days this week because of this, this, and this. And I'm like, hey, that's fine. You know, I've had athletes who week after week after week, they're like, I'm only lifting this many days because of this, this, and this. I'm like, listen, you need to get your shit in gear because at some point this becomes an unfair relationship where you're paying me for nothing. And I don't like that. Like I'm here to help you and for you to lift. You're not hiring a coach to do fucking nothing. Like let's get the fucking show on the road. And I've said that to a couple people and you know, consistency is one of the largest indicators of progress and in your performance. And if you can't be consistent, then, you know, that can a reflect poorly on your coach, but be on your overall performance. And then you might feel like it's your coach's problem, which that's something I'll get into as well. So that power dynamic is important to make sure that it's a relationship. It's a balanced relationship. Yes. You each have different roles, but it's not this, you know, oligarchy. I hope I said that right. (laughs) That, um, there's, you know, use and abuse of power on one side or the other. The next issue in the coach-athlete relationship I want to explore is extra fees. I don't know if some of you know this, but some coaches charge extra for premium or extra services, of which I'm not opposed to. Again, this is something that should be discussed in your initial expectations when you hire the coach or what the coach's plans, philosophies, and fees are, but some coaches charge to go to your meets. Um, I've seen anywhere from $100 to $500 for a coach to attend a meet. I attend my clients' meets free of charge because I want to be there. I did put a limit on how many meets I was... I made a list in the beginning of 2020 of which meets I was going to be attending. Um, And if any of my athletes wanted, absolutely wanted me to be there, then they needed to compete at one of those meets. But I highly encourage each and every one of them to not have their meet be contingent upon whether or not I can be there because a lot of people don't get that luxury of their coach to be there, especially if they're in different states. So I, it's, a lot of work to go to meets, to physically be at meets, to handle people at meets. It's a long day. It's, you know, sometimes a lot of driving, it's a lot of standing, it's a lot of energy, you know, and, but I, I, for me, it's the catharsis of the entire, you know, moment and the prep and, you know, seeing your athlete take what you guys have built in your off season and in your meet prep onto the platform and execute is like, ah, you know, it's what I fucking live for. I fucking love the sport of powerlifting. I have seen athletes who have coaches who stand on the sidelines, who are texting, who like, I mean, not just texting, but literally not paying attention, not giving a fuck. Their athletes are failing lifts. They're bombing out their athletes. I went to this meet about a year ago. I'm not saying any names, but 
there was probably about five or six. I, it was the home gym of this group that was coached by two different coaches. Um, so it was a team and they had two coaches. Of like 25 people, about six or seven of them um, were failing, like everything. Like their openers looked like third attempts. It was just poor planning, poor execution, uh, general lack of knowledge and understanding of how to plan attempts. And I actually find myself a lot of the times like helping people at meets. Like, oh, you don't know what you're doing? Let me fucking help you. Like timing is everything on meet day. I've had clients offer to pay me to fly to where they're at to compete at their meets. Um, I have flown to one athlete's meet on, you know, my dime to be with her for her competition. And so it's on a case-by-case basis, but, you know, you don't want to go into a meet prep with your coach and then meet day, you know, you're two weeks out and he or she is like, okay, if you want me to show up, it's 200 bucks. That should be something that you should discuss beforehand. I'm totally not opposed to a coach being paid for his or her time, especially if you think about, you know, like an eight hour day getting paid 100, 200 bucks. Like, you know, it's, it's not about the hourly rate. It's about, you know, the passion, but for some people it is important to them to get compensated for their time. I have had athletes who have given me extra money, even when I didn't ask for it. And, you know, I'm not going to say no, but it's not something that I, you know, request, but it's something to think about when you're an athlete not that you don't want to think of like, oh, I'm one of blah, 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 blah. But, you know, to you, you're they're your only coach. You know, I'm an athlete. I have one coach. But my coach has many other athletes. So what this, what my coach is doing with me, he's doing on a scale, you know, 10, 15, 20 times. And there just might not be enough time, energy, and effort to give that same level to each and every person. And especially when it comes to, you know, driving to meets. I, before COVID, there was like a point in time where it was like, okay, the next seven weekends in a row, I have athletes competing at meets. So I need to prioritize my time to say, I'm only going to these ones because I can't go seven weekends in a row to meets. I'll fucking pull my hair out. So, you know, just extra fees for things like that, for meet preps, for going to meet day, you know, for one-on-ones, you know, some coaches like myself included, I give discounts to my athletes who are local, um, who want to do a one-on-one with me. I think it's a great advantage to see me in person to do a one-on-one. I don't know any coach that includes one-on-ones in-person training in their coaching fees. It's usually something that is a separate fee, but some coaches offer discounts on their one-on-one in-person training, which kind of leads me into meet day expectations. Um, When you have a coach, you know, Do you expect them to be there from start to finish? Do you expect them to call all of your numbers? Do you expect them to be the only one that's handling you? You know, plan that before. I tell my athletes, like, my job is to be here so you don't have to do shit except for lift the weights for the three attempts for each of the lifts that you're doing. So talk about that with your coach beforehand for your meet day and what do you expect. And then this is an aside... As a coach, I always tell my athletes, and I already mentioned this once, don't, you know, don't pick or don't depend on me being there for you to participate in your meet. Um, There was two instances where I was unavailable, today being one. There was supposed to be a meet today, but it got canceled, and we did a mock meet at South Bay Strength Company for some of the athletes who still wanted to participate. And then with me being sick, I didn't go. So they didn't get, you know, the advantage of having their coach there, but they all felt prepared, and I had support, 
you know, personnel there to help them as well. Um, about a month ago or so, I like kind of fucked up my schedule and I thought that I had, um, there were six athletes that were doing this meet one weekend. And then the following weekend, there was only one athlete doing a meet. And I scheduled myself to do a cervical manipulation class on the weekend that I thought only one athlete was competing. And then I was going to go to the meet where the six athletes were competing. Well, I got my weekends messed up and my class was on the weekend where the six athletes were supposed to compete. Unfortunately, their meet also got canceled and they did a mock meet at the gym, but regardless, I wouldn't have been able to be there. So I kind of realized it like when they were only two weeks out that I'm switched the weekends up and I told them like, you know, I'm sorry, this was before their meet got canceled. I'm not going to be able to be there. So having the expectation of your coach always being there, I feel like is putting you at an unfair advantage. So get your meet day plan with your coach first in case something happens. Like if your coach gets sick, if, you know, a family emergency comes up, like have, you know, a plan and have backup. I want to address shitty coaches. There is a faction of shitty coaches out there. I've seen it. Everyone's seen it. We are in an era where social media is, everyone can be a fucking coach (laughs) with the vast amount of availability there is for people to see, view, and contact other people. Um, you can make yourself look very legitimate online, even though you aren't, you, you know, people are easily swayed into purchasing things or, you know, signing up because they think it's a good idea or see someone that has a lot of followers or see that they are strong and automatically think that that will make them a good coach. Like I said, that's where your line of questioning in the beginning comes from to see other people that they've worked with, to see their results, to see some of their athletes. And not all of the coaches' athletes need to be strong. For the most part, on my client roster, I would say the majority of my athletes are, you know, novice, newer to novice powerlifters. So they're not, you know, in the elite, international elite level. I have had several of those lifters, but for the most part, um, a lot of my lifters are in the more novice category. When you are a novice lifter, you don't know what to look out for. So hence the reason why I'm doing this lovely podcast. Shitty coaches. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's people out there that Google powerlifting programs And then plug in your numbers and copy and paste it to another sheet, a a note, a Google sheet, a Word document, whatever, and then type their name on it and your name on it, and it's the same exact fucking thing, and they give it to you and sell it to you for $50. Is that a terrible thing? Yes and no. Yes, it is if that's all it comes with. No, it's not in the sense that any plan, if you're on some type of structured progression, you're going to get results, right? If you have someone who has knowledge of technique, training, you know, periodization, hypertrophy, fatigue, powerlifting, all of those components, and they're able to relate that knowledge to you while you're running that program, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Because honestly, like, no one can say they invented the lat pulldown. Well, I'm sure someone did at some point. But, you know, by me saying, oh, I'm doing, you know, lat pulldowns, I'm, yes, I'm copying someone that made the lat pulldown, right? But it's like, if someone's guiding you in uh, philosophy, like for example, conjugate is a philosophy, right? It's, it's not, it's a set of ideals, but five, three, one is a specific linear progression program. So say a coach is running you on a five, three, one program. That's not the worst thing in the world. If they're coaching you through it. Now, if someone's just slapping you with a program and that's all you get from them is that program, 
you can fucking Google that shit and do it on your goddamn own. If the feedback that you're getting with your program isn't in some way improving your technique, your understanding, or your competence as a lifter, then that's when the coach and athlete relationship has that power dynamic that's an imbalance because that person is taking advantage of you because they're just shoving something in your face that you could have found on the internet on your own. So another example of a shitty coach is someone, I honestly feel like only communicating through an app is shitty. Um, Not that I feel like every athlete needs to have your one-on-one cell phone, but maybe email exchange as well. Um, Because then like just having a multimodal way to communicate with your coach, I feel like is important. And if they're only limiting you to an app, I feel like that kind of devalues your worth as a client. And then you're kind of just like a number. I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, this is kind of along the line of shitty coaches. This is something I just thought of, but I didn't write down on my little, my pre podcast list that I make. Um, assistant coaches, that should be in your question of setting your expectations with your coach. Do you have assistant coaches? Will I be working with you or an assistant coach? I'm not a fan of assistant coaches. I think it's like, if you're paying for me, you're paying for me. If you're paying for someone else, it should be cheaper because my price is actually too cheap for what I do. But if someone is paying that amount of money, it should be for my services, not someone else that's under my name. Um, There's a lot of people who use assistant coaches where I feel like it's shitty is if they do not disclose that information and you think you're working under person A, but really person B and C are rotating and doing your feedback and new program. That's something to ask and to understand. But really, you need to trust your gut. If you feel like you're getting hosed or like, holy shit, my program's been the same for like three fucking weeks or my coach never changes my accessories or, oh my God, it's like 70%, 75%, 76%, 78%. It's just like the same thing over and over again. It's probably, they're probably not putting the time, energy, and effort into you that you're, you know, wanting from that relationship. And then it's time to reevaluate that relationship. So if you feel like you're getting a copy-paste program, you know, I've heard stories of athletes who like got a program with someone else's name on it and then like emailed their coach like hey what the fuck is up with this and then their coach is like oh I'm sorry and then just like resent them an email with the same program just with their name on it so obviously they know that it's not just for them I've also had an experience with a client who switched over to me where she was in a Instagram group with several other of her teammates and they all like posted lifting videos and stuff, which I think is cool. You know, the camaraderie of the team, but she noticed that everyone was doing the same thing. So obviously everyone was getting the same program, just maybe with different percentages. Percentages and RPE is like the easiest way to get away with everything because you don't even have to think about doing the program. It's like, oh, RPE six, RPE seven, RPE eight. There's no like, you know, real logic and planning that goes into it. Um, Or if it's completely percentage-based, they can distribute the same program to multiple people because you can just plug and chug your own percentages in there. So those are just some things to trust your gut. So how do you, if you have a shitty coach and you want to break up that relationship, being honest is super important. It like, you know, I as a coach expect, I do not expect my relationship with my athletes to go on forever. And as long as someone, you know, I had someone who told me they were going on vacation and they just wanted to take a break and I was like, okay, cool. And then I see this person on Instagram a couple weeks later, like with a new coach. It's like, you could have just told me, Hey, 
I, I thank you for your time, you know, but I'm moving on. Like we understand. But when I, when someone's like too afraid, I feel like I've done a poor job then of that power dynamic. If they don't feel like they can just tell me that for some reason they, you know, they can't afford it. They want to move on. They don't like my style. It's just not working out. Conjugate's not for them, blah, blah, blah. Like insert X reason, it's okay. Just fucking tell me, you know, just tell the person, be honest that this isn't working out for you. Now, if you have grievances with your coach and you want to be explicit and say for reasons A, B, and C, I don't think this relationship worked out. I just wanted to give you feedback. You know, if if I have an athlete who is like, hey, I constantly feel like you're ignoring me and this is the reason why I don't want you as my coach, I would then internalize that and evaluate how I'm performing my job and my duties as a coach. So if you feel like you've been, you know, ignored or your coach is being rude to you and you don't feel like they're approachable because the feedback that they just give you is very derogatory, then it's, you know, maybe grow a pair of fucking balls and just tell them. You can tell them through text. You can tell them through email. It doesn't have to be, you know, a phone call, but tell them how you feel because maybe they'll internalize that and move forward in a different way with their new clients. And maybe they didn't realize that they were being a complete little, little ass hoe. So from the coach's corner here, five reasons that an athlete is quote unquote uncoachable. After coaching for going on to, it's been two years now. Um, I've come up with five things that really hinder and inhibit the coach athlete relationship. And if any of my athletes are listening to this, don't think I'm calling any of you out specifically. These are just patterns that I recognize that makes my relationship with my athletes difficult. And at times to the point where the relationship needs to end because I'm not being an effective coach to this athlete and vice versa. So the first one is the athletes do not implement the feedback that they are getting. If you are hiring me as your coach or a coach as your coach, you've made a decision that you trust this person's information, experience, knowledge, insight, and input to help you and guide you further in insert sport career. If they give you said advice and you don't take it, then what the fuck are you doing? I have had uh, multiple athletes where week after week after week, I can tell them the same, 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 same thing about lift X, Y, Z. And if they don't, I am only as effective as they are able to change their behavior. So if I'm telling you that you need to set up your squat in such a way to make it be able to do this in order for you to be able to progress and you're not, and your squat is not progressing, therefore... You can't get mad at me for your shit not progressing. And that does happen a lot. Um, sometimes athletes get fed up and they want someone to, I wouldn't say blame, but a reason or rationale for why their lifts are suffering or not advancing and they want to blame it on their coach, but maybe they need to internalize and look that maybe they're not effectively utilizing the feedback, information, and knowledge that they're getting from said coach to implement into their lifts. Two, they don't ask for an explanation. So say I am like, oh, you need to engage your lats more in the bench. I see that your elbows are flaring, blah, blah, blah. And my athlete reads that and is like, that sounds like Chinese. I have no idea what she means and does not ask for further clarification. Then that is an issue. So if you just, it's like, I don't know if you've ever 
learned another language or met someone who's in the process of learning another language. And sometimes you just say, or even in your same language, if someone says something and you don't understand, you just go, "Uh uh-huh, because you don't want to say what again. Uh, It's the same thing there. If you don't understand what I'm saying to you, Ask for a different way of me to verbalize what I'm trying to explain. Maybe you need a more detailed explanation. Maybe you need a video. Maybe you need a one-on-one to really see and feel those changes so that you can make the progress that you need. Athletes that go off plan. A lot. So going, say you have a lift that's prescribed for bench and it's 135 pounds for a four by four. And I tell you, it's supposed to feel like an RPE eight and you do that 135 pounds and that shit is fucking flying and it feels like an RPE two. I would be okay with you changing the numbers there, but say you're supposed to do that RPE eight for a four by four and you're like, I want to go for one rep max today. And then you do that. And then you wonder why the next day when you're supposed to do said lift, you're fucking tired or you blow your load or whatever it is. You know, there's a structured plan for a reason. And if I have an athlete that's consistently deviating from the plan that is given, then that tells me as a coach that they don't trust the plan that is given because they feel that their own insight is better. And that mistrust or misuse of the plan can be something that can affect that relationship and your progress moving forward. Number four, athletes who don't give 100%. Hate me if you want, but I'm going to tell it like it is. I, If I see an athlete that's not really giving their all, it makes me not want to give them my all. But if you're sandbagging, if it's a one rep max, and you're sandbagging the fuck out of it, you're only hurting yourself. So, like, this is kind of specific to conjugate a little bit more, I think, than other programming styles that are more linear periodization. But in conjugate, you need to push yourself twice a week in that max effort day. And if you're not giving your full potential, how do you expect you to reach your full potential? So I'm not there with you. I don't know how hard you're trying. I'm only watching videos. A lot of coaches do virtual coaching. I would say it's much more popular than in-person coaching. So they can only get you get what you give them. And if it's not 100% from you, then you're only doing yourself a disservice. And again, you might wind up thinking that your coach is the one that's at fault, but it's like, oh yeah, I kind of been drinking on the weekends and like fucking up my diet and only training three days a week, but I wanted 50 pounds on my deadlift this year. Well, I wonder why it didn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Five, they don't communicate. Meaning, You know, depending on how your feedback is set up with your coach, if it's a weekly system, if you have, you know, a dialogue box that you pop in, you know, some feedback, things like that. If you're not telling your coach how fatigued you are, how the lifts went, how everything went, you know, like I could be watching a video and think, oh my God, this is the most amazing lift I've ever seen from this lifter. And your feedback could be, holy shit, I felt the worst I've ever felt ever on this day. And I felt like I was going to die the entire time. And then the next day I didn't get out of bed for six hours. Then I would say, oh, you need a deload. But if I didn't know that, I'd be like, oh, this was fucking amazing. You're really getting there. So it's like telling your coach, you know, I've had athletes who I've asked questions to like, hey, what was what I couldn't tell. You didn't tell me the number that you got on this lift. I can't count the plates in your video. So what did you get? They don't tell me. Oh, um, why did you fail? You know, I saw you, you skipped this day. Why did you fail? They didn't answer back. So it's like, I only know what you tell me. I'm not a fucking mind reader. You can't expect your coach to understand 
everything that you're going through if you don't tell them. So it's important to tell them how you feel, how fatigued you are, things like that. It's not like you need to fucking open up and dear diary them, but give, you know, your coach some insight into how your lift is going. Cause like I said, those social, emotional, other things, stress factors, economic factors can impact your physical performance. And if that's something that's going on, if your coach gives a fuck, they want to know. Okay. And my last little tidbit from the coach's corner is five things from a coach for you. Number one, tell your coach if you plan on going on performance enhancing drugs or if you are on performance enhancing drugs when you start. I have an athlete questionnaire that I give to all my athletes when they start and it asks about their PED use, past, former, present, and possibly future. Um, I don't Someone once said I only coach athletes that are on gear. I've only had like probably five ever that have been on gear. I don't ever push people to be on gear. If you don't want to do it, by all means, fucking don't. You can listen to both of my podcasts about it. But if you're on performance-enhancing drugs, it can change the entire game. It changes your recovery. It changes your, obviously, your enhancement, your ability to tolerate load. Um... If I know one of my lifters is on performance-enhancing drugs, I program differently because guess what? They can recover a lot motherfucking faster, and they're probably going to be getting stronger a little bit quicker than the average bear. So if you're on performance-enhancing drugs and I don't know, or you're having different side effects, and you're not being honest with me about what's going on, I have no idea of how to adapt and change your program accordingly. So again, that's a communication issue, but if you're planning on going on PEDs, discuss that with your coach beforehand because maybe they can give you some advice from their experience or others' experience that you weren't aware of beforehand. Number two, if you feel like your needs aren't being met, say so. Like I said, if someone's saying like, hey, I feel like you've been ignoring me, blah, 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 fucking tell me. Like, don't just, you know, close mouths, don't get fed. If there's something going on with your coach and you feel like there's a disservice or some kind of disruption or disconnection in the relationship that you were, the expectation was set and now it's not being met, then you should tell your coach that. Because like I said, if I would say the majority of people and coaches out there are decent and, you know, good people with great intentions. And that doesn't mean that they're a good coach, but that means that they're well-intentioned. So, If you had an expectation and it's not being met, tell them and that well-intentioned person will probably try to make it right. But unless you let them know that you're not feeling the way that you want things to go are, then they won't ever know how to change their behavior in order to correct the path of your guys' relationship. Number three, you get what you give. I kind of alluded to this before in Uncoachable Athletes, but... Like I said, hate me if you want. Now I'm going to go on my tangent for it. I give, as a coach, to my athletes what they give me. That might be shitty, but it's fucking true. If I have an athlete who only checks in with me twice a month and I don't know how they're progressing and they don't give me concrete feedback and or they're like, yeah, I'm going to go on vacation this weekend instead and oh yeah, next week I'm going to miss three days because I'm getting drunk and blah, blah, blah. Like obviously lifting is like a very, very unpassionate side hobby for you. If I have an athlete that's like, holy shit, give me extra conditioning days. I need to do this. What is the plan? Here's my videos. I have six questions for constructive criticism that I need to know and how I can progress better. How do you think I should set this up better? I'm going to give that person all the answers to the questions and the input that they're giving me. I'm going to give it back to them in my knowledge. And it's not like I'm giving unfair treatment, but 
if you have a student in the class that's consistently not turning in their homework, they're not going to get an A. So that's how I look at it. If I'm the teacher and you're the student and you're not giving me your what you know, you're not giving me the test results that show that you should get an A, I'm not going to give it to you. You know, if you're in prep and you're not sending me videos of your list, I'm not going to be hounding you like, where's your list? Where's your list? Where's your list? Like, I set the expectation that in this relationship, you have one job and it's to do your lifts and to check in and to tell me how you feel. And my one job is to create your program, give you feedback, you know, and move forward and work together. So, well, it's a lot of jobs for both of us, but you know what I mean, the roles. So if, you know, I had an athlete once who it still breaks my heart to this day, this person had and still has incredible potential. I've actually had two athletes like this. Um, incredible potential to be super successful in the sport of powerlifting on an elite level, on a world-class level. And um, they kind of just didn't give a fuck and you know, kind of like did their own thing and checked in when they wanted to check in. And I ended up having to let one athlete go. And then another athlete kind of just like fell off. And it was super sad because I saw the potential that they have, but I can't want it for you. Your coach can't want you to hit that 500 pound deadlift so you get it. You need to put in the work to get the 500 pound deadlift, okay? So it's like, it, it goes both ways. Okay, tangent over. Moving on, number four, realize that it's a partnership. So kind of tying into my little rant that I just went on, that it is a relationship and a partnership, that it's, I, you know, the coach cannot watch you 24-7. The coach has a role and it's to give you a plan and it's your job to execute. And each person has their role and you guys need to work together for that. And it's, you know, the coach isn't the one that's always going to motivate you and pep you up. And sometimes that needs to come within yourself. You can't expect a coach, you know, to totally go above and beyond at all times. There may be times where that's warranted, but at baseline, you need to want it for yourself and then you guys need to work together. And number five, from a coach to you, there is no such thing as a weightlifting emergency in general, whatever sport you are in. Maybe bodybuilding if you're like fucking passing out because your blood pressure is so low or something like that because your diet and you're so fucking starved. But like, oh my God, there's no micro mini bounds. What do I do? Coach, what do I do? Coach, what do I do? You, if I didn't answer, I'm sure you would figure it out. So sometimes just take a step back and chill. And if you don't get an answer, like search, sometimes people get so reliant on getting an answer that they forget to search within themselves or the internet for an alternative answer. So just chill out. There's no such thing as an emergency. It'll be all right. Okay, so that is all that I came up with on the coach-athlete relationship. I hope I touched a lot of bases for you guys. I did post a question box, and today I got a few questions about that. The first one is, do you take on friends as clients, and what if clients become friends? Great question. I do take on clients that are friends, but again... In the beginning, I totally have a Coach Ashley persona and Friend Ashley persona, and I do not let those boundaries or lines or that partnership, when I set the expectations in the beginning of our relationship, get blurred, and I let those people know that I'm their coach. I have personality characteristics and traits where I can tell you like it is whether you're my friend or not. Some people don't have that, you know, 
tiger stripe within them to be able to say, hey, this looks like shit. We need to do this, this, and this. And, you know, I really want to work with you and make this better. So these are the deficits that you have, and these are the things I feel like we need to work on. And especially if it's a friendship relationship, it can be difficult to tell people news sometimes that they don't want to hear. So I would say I would don't know if all coaches do. But, you know, I do, and I definitely draw that line. I let them know that, you know, as your coach, sometimes you might hear things from me that you don't necessarily want to, but it's in your best interest, and that's the reason why you've hired me, correct? I have tons of clients that have become friends. I would say that's one of the best parts of being a coach is that I have created and cultivated friendships outside of the relationships of just being these people's coach. But for me personally, I have a close relationship with all of my athletes. I'm a very hands-on coach with the you know support and guidance that I give all my athletes and the constant contact that we do have, which is the reason why I've reduced my athlete you know roster so much is because I still want to give each of those people the individualized contact that they need. And I have become friends with a lot of these people, and I fucking love it. Next question, do you struggle with keeping athletes motivated, and how do you address that? That kind of ties back into my you get what you give. I've realized as a physical therapist, as well as as a coach, as you can't want it more for someone than they want it themselves. Um, I've been through uh, some devastating instances with people in physical therapy where they've just kind of given up on their health and their life, and it hurt me so bad because I wanted them to get better. And as cynical as it is, that part of me a little bit died. Yes, I can motivate people to an extent, and that motivation comes in the form of, hey, I see this progress within you and you're getting better, so let's keep this momentum going. And if someone's just like, I just, you know, I haven't lifted, and you know, hey, that little kick in the butt, like, you've only been lifting twice a week, I need to see you lift three times a week, or really this relationship isn't working. And if that doesn't work, I don't know what to do for you because I can't want it for you. You need to want it. I think that's something that a lot of people get misconstrued, that they think that their coach needs to be their motivator and their cheerleader, but... That's like a football coach in high school, right? A coach that you're paying to do programming for to strategize and help you with strength and conditioning on a remote basis to give you a program is something different. Now, if you set that expectation in the beginning, like, hey, I don't know if anybody would be like, hey, I like am really unmotivated. That's actually the kind of person that needs a personal trainer, that needs a one-on-one interaction with someone there to help motivate them be like, you got it, three more, let's go. I don't think a remote coach in any capacity is good for someone who struggles or lacks with motivation. Maybe you can set up a structure with the client where you would have a one-on-one interaction with them every two weeks and they would pay X amount of dollars extra. I do know some people who work with their coaches on a one-on-one basis a few times a month and they do pay additional for those sessions. How do you work with difficult temperament, motivation, personality, athletes, etc.? So, I mean, not every single personality type am I like, oh my God, this is amazing. There are some people that are needier than others. There are some people that are less communicative than others. Um, It's just like anything, the ebbs and flows of life and not all relationships are, you know, symbiotic and amazing. But I would say for the most part, I fall back on you get what you give. Whether or not someone's personality traits and their motivation clash or mesh with mine the best, if they're giving me everything they have and that shows in their videos, in their feedback, in their consistency, and in their ability to keep progressing and implementing the feedback that I'm giving them, then our relationship moves and flows smoothly regardless of their personality type. So there may be some things that I like disagree with, you know, on each person on a personality level, but as far as 
The best thing a client can do for me is just give me consistent feedback on how they're feeling for their liftings, you know, kind of making it like a little bit black and white with this is my lift, this is what was going on, this is how I felt, these are the questions that I have, boom. And in that black and white arena, you can sort through the data to give that person the information that they need moving forward. But I don't know. I don't ever really get with people like too heated or like one-on-one. I mean... Maybe once or twice there's been some weird instances, but for the most part, it's pretty easy peasy. Beyond performance, what do you think are the most important factors in the relationship? I think the most important factor beyond someone actually implementing the program that I give them is for them to be honest and open with me and to answer the questions that I ask. I feel like implementing the feedback that I give them is of the utmost importance. So say I gave someone the cue of... um, you need to chalk your feet so that they're consistent when you're squatting because they're off. The left foot is pointed out more than the right. I send you a screenshot. I make lines. I show you visually that your feet are off. And I notice in the next week's video that it wasn't done. And then the next week's video, it wasn't done. But if that athlete was like, hey, I didn't have chalk and you know this happened, but the next week they're like, oh my God, I take responsibility. I forgot. I'm going to make it better. I've just bought chalk on Amazon. So someone taking responsibility and accountability for their actions or their shortcomings, I think is the best thing that they can do to keep that relationship running smoothly. Um, someone who continues to ask questions, um, Michelle, the person that just asked this question, you are excellent at, at the end of your recap every week, you're like, okay, this is lift A, B, C, D, and then here are my questions for the week. Boom. That gives me a clear map of what's going on with you and what information you need to know so that I can then take all of that and tell you what you need to do next. So it's how do you make a rela- a working relationship well? It's just like dating, right? Like if you're the only one that's communicating, the conversation doesn't really go anywhere. So you want to, as an athlete, be open with your coach and what I want from my athletes is for them to tell me how they're feeling and also some feedback on how they feel like I'm doing for them. I feel like a big indicator is I've had multiple athletes that I've been coaching for over a year, year and a half. I've had some that are at two. And I think that's an indicator of success as me as a coach. Not only are they continually progressing, but they are, you know, wanting to stay with me year after year. One point that I didn't bring up, and this kind of ties into a little bit of everything that I talked about, is lack of progress. So lack of progress doesn't necessarily mean that it's your coach's fault. There could be a multitude of factors that tie into a lack of progress. It could be your nutrition. It could be your stress. It could be your conditioning. It could be a plateau in your newbie gains. It could be the amount of effort and energy. And like, are you really giving it 110% to make the progress that you need to make? Are you at your natural potential and limit where now every year you're going to be fighting for a five pound PR? Lack of progress does not equal lack of proper coaching or you know, information. I have had the conversation with a few of my athletes who are getting upset at their progress with different strategies that I feel like they can employ. Most all of them, it's consistency with their lifts, doing all of their accessories, 
doing all of their abs, doing, you know, are you taking this as seriously as it should be like a full-time job? Okay, if that's a check, is your nutrition in check? Check. Okay, then maybe it's a discussion that we do kind of dance with PEDs. You know, are you in your late 30s or 40s? Have you been lifting for, you know, five or six years? Are you at your natural limit? Is that a route you want to go? No. Okay, well then you better be okay with spending a year fighting for five to 10 pound PR because that's where people get at the end of the sport of powerlifting. Once you've, you know, reached that natural limit and potential and all the other boxes are checked, what's the next step then? Anytime you switch programs, there's always like a small newbie gain spike. Like if you were on conjugate and then you go to linear or vice versa, there's like a temporary spike because of the change in the style of the stimulus to your muscle, but it's not overnight making you stronger. The true measure of strength is longevity. And if you have a good coach, staying with that coach for the long term is the best way for that relationship to grow so that coach can get to know you inside and out and see your progress long term to see where your deficits lie because they change over time, especially as you progress as an athlete. And as you get stronger, sometimes things get a little different too. So that's my rant. I'm really glad I'm back here on podcasting. I've missed this a lot. I've missed all of you guys a lot. Please rate my podcast. Give me all of the stars and I hope to see and hear from you guys soon. Share my shit. And thank you for listening to my nasally ass podcast. Bye.